0: Computers online. Archiving 44 T minus Initiate sequence. T-minus 30 seconds. Server connection confirmed. T-minus 25 seconds. Live stream for QNN 20K. T-minus 20 seconds. Phone lines are go. T-minus 15 seconds. Traveling softly verified. 10 right
1: here, right up right there, 5, 4, 3, 2. Welcome to Black Op Radio, the voice of political conspiracy research. You're listening to Black Op Radio, the show NSA doesn't want you to hear. Now here it's your host, Leno Sannek. Hello everyone, welcome to another episode of Black Ops Radio. This is your host, Leno Sanek. Today we're speaking to author, researcher David Radcliffe. Hello, Mr. Radcliffe.
0: Greetings, Len.
1: Greetings. It's always a pleasure, and I can't tell you the number of times that I thought, wow, at the end of an interview. Like I, I always learn something from you, and it's not even uh, I can't understate that it's just that you know uh so many times that you're a year ahead of me you know if not longer you know just like you know what you're talking about we'll be talking about next year so uh first of all let's just mention where people who don't know you can find about you you have a website
0: radical.org radical with a t it's coming up on 28 years launch september 1995 equinox wow And there's there's always more to pile into that archive and i think of it at times as a witness to the life of our time
1: yeah and uh i became a fan of yours with your uh your work of fletcher prouty you interviewed fletcher prouty you you read his book the secret team and you went to uh visit him and you had a list of questions in over four days uh, you know it was probably uh it's just such an inspiration to hear. Well, that's how interviews are done, and that's research. And you really got someone you you know, to read between the lines and say, "Well, what did you mean about this?" And you wrote that, but and uh, that was I was so impressed with that that probably I try to carry that uh, candle of you know uh, of talking to other people with an interest in things. And of course, your website you have just a, a multitude of things. Uh, Today in May, uh, what are we going to talk about? Give us an overview.
0: Two general tracks. And and before I start, yes, I was extremely lucky and blessed to have the opportunity to connect and then go meet and spend five days with Fletcher in May of 1989, thanks to John Judge, who introduced me, irreplaceable friend. And the work you have been doing now for, is it more than 21 years?
1: Yeah, I started with Anita in the year 2000.
0: 2000. So your your work is a tremendous gift and blessing and inspiration. Uh, Indomitable, just never ends, never stops. Keep on going. That's, we need a lot of people. We have a lot of people on earth that are, engaged in this way, and very tragically and horrifically, their voices have been uniformly and intentionally crushed and extinguished by the unholy marriage of corporate empire, state government, and big tech over the last three years. More than earlier than 2020, it would have been unbelievable. No, that that couldn't happen here. Frank Zappa's old song, "It Can't Happen Here," uh, and it and it totally has completely for over three years. So that now it's just, oh yeah, well, that that's that's just the way it is. Well, it doesn't have to be that way. And thanks to souls like yourself, uh, we we keep on the good fight, no matter what, no matter how impossible it looks. Because that's what we were born to do. That's just, that's our, that's the gift we were given when we were given these lives. Yeah.
1: Well, it's so refreshing to hear you talk about Fletcher uh, Prouty with that reverence that, you know, somebody would say, I was lucky to meet him. And, (laughs) you know, I had, well, you laugh a little bit, but, you know, that's how it is. It's like, can you imagine not knowing Fletcher and and how limited our vision would have been on, on so many topics? (laughs) because I was interested in the JFK assassination and he worked in the Pentagon and tell me, by the way, let me tell you about transportation. Let me tell you about uh, (laughs) so many other things. And yeah, it was just that, you know, you thought, for me, I thought I was talking to like the head of a university, the dean, you know, Uh, you know, it wasn't just somebody who was, was, Martin grounded, but he was a step above that.
0: And he was there. He was first person recounting his own experiences. It wasn't somebody who who did a good job in re, and research and, and put together and assembled and analyzed and synthesized a lot of stuff. He was in critical moments on the ground in person. He saw, he knew, and he was willing to speak up about it to continue to. That's when he left the DOD in January 1st, 64, because he realized after he came back from New Zealand, boy, this is really different here now. This is very changed. I, I don't think I need to be here anymore. I don't want to be here anymore. And he felt he was also young enough still that he could switch his path and his course and, and head off in a different direction and still have a lot to do in his adult uh, travels. So, um, a very, a man who was true. To what to his creator? We're all born with our own experience of our connection to our creator. What, however, we think of it. I, my grandfather was a minister. My grandmother on my, my grandfather, my grandmother on my mother's side. My grandmother was a teacher. My mother grew up in China. Uh, started there. She was born in 23. She uh, started living there in 25 until 39. Totally different world. And uh, it, I'm so grateful that I was able to have her as my mother because I had someone who, for whom it was, she, she was able to see this culture from outside of it. She wasn't raised in this culture and a very different one. And I think that's certainly something of of my, uh, you know, there's what nature and nurture, the whole thing with our, uh, DNA inheritance, our genetic inheritance, and then our inheritance growing up in the in the environment we grew up in with the people we knew, our parents and whoever else. And so, I mean, by I I was eight when Kennedy got killed. I was sick home that day. My dad came home. He was a general surgeon. I could see him down the hall from propped up in my bed when he walked upstairs at whatever it was in the early afternoon. I said, "Hi, Dad," and he didn't turn to me. He just said. President Kennedy's been shot. And he walked away the opposite direction over to his bedroom. That's, that's all I really remember of that weekend, because I wasn't in school. Finally, it was only in 77, uh, when I was in New Haven, Connecticut, after being in Berkeley College of Music for a year in Boston. I went down to New Haven, stay with friends, and be there for more than a year, and I lived, shared time, uh, lived in a lawyer's house, Peter Moline, a great guy who loaned me a copy of Schlesinger's A Thousand Days. And that's what I'd never read dry biography before. I, I was just very, very struck by what this guy was doing and trying to do in the brief time he had. He really was he thought he was the president and, and he did what he was able to do. And uh, that just, that set me on the course. So I think that kind of background from then on and on and on, looking at the health costs of nuclear technology starting in the early 80s with Rosalie Bertel's book, um, No Immediate Danger, Prognosis for Radioactive Earth. It just, I, I had this sense of things are not as they appear and wanting also to understand But how does our world actually operate? How does this world all of us dwell within for a brief time in these human overcoats? How do things actually run? How are they directed? How are they operated? And so through the stuff with the 80s and Ronnie Reagan and Nicaragua and Iran and the October surprise and John Lennon's assassination and on into the 90s with all the crazy stuff in the Clinton years and up to September 20 September 2001 just nutburger world and looking back now clearly there've been these stages these these going up the ladder more and more and more of the endeavor to as John Judge would have said did say take the glove off the hand and really expose the iron fist. The 2001 September attacks were clearly another dry run. Clearly, they didn't want it to just be a dry run, but it ended up being one, because um, among other evidence, the Patriot Act, thousand whatever plus pages that was introduced, I don't know, two or three days after September 11th, that just got written up in two or three days? And how many people in the legislature actually even read it before it was passed? Barbara Lee in California was one of, I think, only two people who didn't vote for it. Where did that come from? And then the anthrax attacks, which leads us to a wonderful man, Graham McQueen, who stepped through the door to eternity. On April 25th, he had stage four prostate cancer. And just a, a very sacred soul. We are all sacred souls. his His time here was so well spent, a life well lived. Last summer, Ed Curtin, dear, dear friend Ed Curtin, who I met in december twenty twelve in Western Mass at the Rowe Center weekend workshop of Jim Douglas and Paul Schrade on JFK and the Unspeakable, looking ahead to 2013, the 50th year. And I met Ed there. I met Marty Schatz there. Uh, I'd already been in communication with Marty. My my friendship with Ed is unbounded. He is. You know, I
1: hate to interrupt you, but just when you talk about important people, you, you know, when, if I get to say I got to meet Jim Douglas, <laughs> uh, you know, I'm a friend of his. I can phone him now and he'll answer and take my call. You know, that's another person. Uh, <laughs> kind of like like we talked about Fletcher where you go, wow, I'm lucky. <laughs> you know, I mean, you have that opinion, too.
0: Of course, Jim. In, in 2000, Jim sent me a letter, a letter not the dumb old email, sent me a letter in Santa Cruz where I was living a year after I published Understanding Special Operations, uh, in interview with Fletcher. He sent me a letter from Alabama where he was living, uh, uh, wanting to buy a copy of Understanding Special Operations, and he, and he included in it a printout of his writing for Probe magazine the uh, Martin Luther King Assassinate conspiracy, the assassination, uh, exposed in Memphis. I forget exact title. And it's a beautiful, beautiful account of one of only two people who was in that courtroom in November, early December of 1999, the only trial for the murder of Martin Luther King Jr. in the United States headed up by William Pepper and who you well, well, well know, uh, and I just I I was so taken by this article. I, I sent him the book and I said, Can I please uh, post that article that you wrote on Radical? And he said, Sure, go ahead, give it more uh, play. So that that was a wonderful connection. Then finally in 2012, when I finally got around eight, four years after it was published, to starting to read in the summer, JFK and the Unspeakable. And I got into the first chapter, I think it's footnote, endnote 54 or 55, where he's citing Fletcher talking to the Joint Chiefs of Staff about, you will be my advisor in peacetime as you are in wartime. Totally, I'm going to get rid of the CIA. And I looked in the end, oh, he's citing Understanding Special Operations. i totally forgotten that I sold it to him. <laughs> and so... I finally connected with him then and and started building his segment on radical under topics on the United States national security state. uh, The unspeakable is called. And there's a ton of stuff in there of his.
1: And and what I interrupted your train of thought, I just wanted to let people know that here, uh, Jim Douglas went from city to city and he didn't just lecture. He put on these workshops where he broke people up and you had to do these little assignments. And it was... uh, it, it was just unusual i thought wow he's really taking us to school here and then and then yeah uh, so that's where you said you met ed curtain at a, a jim douglas workshop which is you know wow lucky to be there as well
0: absolutely I'll, I'll never forget that weekend that was the weekend of the Newtown shootings in connecticut so so all this has a way of leading on uh jim i, re- I, I, I realized from jim's uh um uh, dedication jay came to be called marty and vincent salandria and i knew i'd heard john talk a lot about vincent salandria i know he'd spoken at the copa conferences but i hadn't really focused and in reading the book before that conference in december i was reading it in the summer i i communicated parts i let me think how this worked no 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 i i met marty first at the conference. And I somehow had been in communication with briefly before because I wanted to ask his permission to reprint his 1996 book, "History Will Not Absolve Us," and which was out of print. And uh, he said, "Sure, go ahead." And I'd, I'd had—I said, "I guess I want to include uh, segments of it." When I got back from the conference, the book had already arrived. I'd ordered it before I'd left. And looking into it, I realized, no, no, I got to get this whole book. I, I didn't ask him for the whole book when I saw him. So I wrote back and said, can I do this? And he said, yes, go ahead, please. That was in the beginning of 2013. By February 2013, I felt I was versed enough with Vincent Salandria's work that I I had his address already from somewhere before his email. So I introduced myself and Marty and I and he started to have a three-way and that grew into a thing with John Judge and John Kellan, the writer of In Praise of the Future Generation from 19, I think it was 99, or at least that's when he self-published False Mystery, the first in, for, uh, incarnation of Vince's writings. So that got the whole thing going with Vince and eventually the 2017 May 29th, 100th anniversary of John Kennedy's birth, publishing of False Mystery on Radical that's twice as much content as John Kellan's 1999 book. And I still haven't made a print-on-demand and PDF and an ebook copy of it, but I'm closing in. I'm finally getting back to stuff I dropped on the floor in early 2020, and that's one of them. But to get back to Graham, last summer, Ed had this idea that it was— Graham's birthday was coming up, and Ed suggested- You
1: know, I hate to to interrupt again, sorry. Go ahead, Maybe we should just tell people who Graham is first. Okay. He he, he was an author, professor, researcher, and he wrote about 9-11. I mean, just, I'm prompting you to, if you want to give people what's your, how would you describe him?
0: I, I found out about him from reading his 2014 book, The 2001 Anthrax, The 2001 Anthrax Deception. Yeah, the deception. The case for that's right. the 2001 anthrax deception. The case for domestic conspiracy. This is the go-to book for the anthrax attacks. It's only about 160 some odd pages. It's not that long, but and by Clarity Press, and it is just, it is profoundly significant in pointing to what it does about this whole thing that came from the the bowels of the U.S. government. It wasn't a, a loner. It wasn't jihadi people from elsewhere out of the country. It, 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 was, it was unconscionable evil. And as it says near the beginning of it, it says at the beginning of the book, the group that carried out this crime consisted in whole or in part of insiders deep within the U.S. state apparatus. And a, an additional quote, and how, quote, the Anthrax attacks were meant to facilitate a seizure of power by the executive branch of government through intimidation of Congress and U.S. civil society. They were also designed to achieve public acquiescence to and support for the redefinition of U.S. foreign policy, replacing the Cold War with a new and aggressive global conflict framework, the Global War on Terror. And I'll get back to that because, of course, that's exactly what we're seeing since early 2020, but instead of achieve public acquiescence to and support for the redefinition of U.S. foreign policy, this is for the redefinition of U.S. domestic policy as defined and directed by the Department of Defense. And I'll, I'll get back into that. Graham was a very yeah, I, I write in this thing. I, he let me write the postscript for this book of his. So, so let me do this in order, and I'll get to more about him. Last July, Ed thought, "Let's have a Zoom birthday party for Graham." And we tried to get Jim Douglas into it. And others, Jim was he couldn't come. He couldn't take the time. But we got Marty Schatz, myself, and Ed with Graham, and we had the four of us having this wonderful Zoom. Uh, party. and it was a beautiful sharing. it was it was um, it was a very nice th- thought and and realization of Eds. and Graham was very, very sweet and enjoyed it very much. Four months later or so, in october, i wrote I wrote just sort of a general letter to him in stupid old email. I didn't write a real letter. And just some stuff I was thinking about and concerns I was having, and, and he wrote back and said something to the effect of, "What a what a nice letter! Just just a bit of correspondence. Thank you for writing." And then he said, almost sheepishly, he had a mundane question about how Ted Walter, a colleague of his, uh, was coming up soon because it was already clear that he was, didn't have long to still be here before he was going to die. And Ted Walter from, I think, New York, or wherever Ted is from now, was going to come up to where Graham lives in Canada and and record interviews about Graham's work to make a documentary that I think is slated to come out maybe early in June or sometime this summer. And he said in the email to me, well, gosh, I really need to go back through and review what I've written to remember what I wrote so that I can speak coherently for these interviews. And that led into... And I was thinking maybe to make a book of my most significant writings, w- would you possibly be able to help me with that? Yes, be glad to. I, of course, I just said, yes, let's do it. Let's, let's do that. And, and we, we both agreed that we would make it be something like what I did with False Mystery, the 2017 digital book, where it would just be a digital copy. We wouldn't have to go through trying to get anything else marshalled in time. So starting in October and and with my experience of losing irreplaceable friend John Judge in 2014 I'd, I'd known John since 20, 1987 when he came to Santa Cruz to talk. And then May Brussels was dying in 1988. And he came with me and Tom Davis to see May in the hospital in Carmel, or maybe it was Pacific Grove, to make a proposal for the May Brussels Research Center, which she approved. Unfortunately, she did not write anything in her will about that. But that's another story. So I met John then and I just have never known a friend like that. We had a wonderful, wonderful friendship. I called him Johnny Reb, and he called me Ratty. And it just was out of this world. And I kept thinking through the years into decades. I, I saw him once in Washington, D.C. at his house, and um, I, I, I've got to go see John again, i got to go see him. But I've got time. But I didn't, because he died before I got back to see him again. So that lesson from life was, whatever you want to do, don't wait. Do it now while the the person that you're working with is still there or the person that you know. So when Graham said this in October, okay, I don't know how much longer Graham's going to be here. I need to get on this and do everything I can now to make this a reality for him so that he can, A, so that any questions I have, I can ask him while he's still here. And he can also see it while he's still here and, and enjoy the connections with people who perhaps will reach out to him again. God, you know, wonderful seeing this that you, of your work. So we worked on that, worked on that, worked on that, a lot of work. And that was completed by, mostly completed by sometime in earlier March. He wanted to get blurbs from people. And that basically was what we waited on. On the the book is on radical. It's if you go to radical.org, I have the just going to the domain name. I started this in 2012 or something. It's just a separate file that's just like I have I have it filled with what I call billboards. And they're outline boxes that have things that I want to call the most attention to. And the first billboard at the very top, it's chronologically in reverse order with most recent first. The first one is the Pentagon's B-movie, the cover that this person out of Pakistan made for him, wonderful cover, the Pentagon's B-movie, looking closely at the September 2001 attacks. So you can find your way to it there. It has one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, nine blurbs from people on the title page. And as I look back into the postscript, I wrote at one point, uh, the obdurate. Well, actually, let me get into this. So, uh, John Kirby shared with John Kirby has a blurb. And part of what his blurb was that Graham uh, edited out because he wanted to make things really uh, tight and brief. But John Kirby shared with me regarding this volume of Graham's essays, quote, his considerable powers make him a formidable voice who balances outrage and brilliance with profound empathy for the human condition, unquote. Graham was at McMaster University, I think, for more than 30 years. And and actually, another part of John's blurb that is there that I like very much Um To read these works from across the years is to revisit an era of overwhelming darkness to make our way again through the choking clouds of demolished concrete and disintegrated flesh. But this time we have a guide who lights our way. There is no more incisive writer on the origins and upkeep of the global war on terror than Graham McQueen. Wielding elegant prose and irresistible logic, he parses eyewitness accounts and scientific absurdities, quote, failures of imagination, unquote, and national security special effects. He is equal parts journalist, philosopher, media critic, and political historian. Archivist part, and then he writes about me. Uh, So read Graham McQueen and take strength. He, he had this thing at McMaster's in uh, uh, Department in Peace Studies. He was engaged, I don't have it right in front of me, but something to the effect of involved in a number of peace programs and peace initiatives, I think in at least four or five countries. Uh, a, a, A soul dedicated to the successful creative development and evolution of our species. That's, I think that's a good way to think of Graham. Oh, actually, it's up here in the very top of his thing. Graham McQueen received his PhD in Buddhist studies from Harvard University and taught in the religious studies department of McMaster's University for 30 years. While at McMaster's, McMaster, he became founding director of the Center for Peace Studies, after which he helped develop the BA program in peace studies and oversaw the development of peace building projects in Sri Lanka, Gaza, Croatia, and Afghanistan. He was a member of the organizing committee of the Toronto hearings held on the 10th anniversary of 9-11, was a member of the International 9-11 Consensus Panel, and was co-editor of the Journal of 9-11 Studies. I apologize, I'm not as sharp as I used to be.
1: And and he's known for then writing about the fraud of 9-11, yes. about the the deception, and, you know, even something like the anthrax, people would just, oh, well, I forgot about that. Yeah, right. for two or three days, we heard something, right? And he really delved into that, Usually. along with other people. And then, for some reason in Canada, they had these the Toronto hearings in which they tried to you know, make a, a, a quasi court case to say, yeah, you yeah. know, here we the, the you know um, the prosecution is uh, alleging this, and you uh, know they came to Vancouver as well. Uh, a group of people came, and I went to watch you know one of the lectures, and that, but it, it just always amazed me that it wasn't happening in America more. Yeah, you know.
0: Where it came from, right.
1: (laughs) And, you know, the only thing you can say is uh, you've heard in history about the Reichstag fire. Would a government attack its own citizens to, you know, to start something? And that uh, I just item in history, which is, you know, you can read and learn about it. And then people talk about 9-11. They just glaze over. They're unable to really contemplate. Is that what happened?
0: Exactly. It's beyond the pale. And we can't go there because we have largely been living in a society that infantilizes people and causes people to think of the government as being something akin to a father or a mother who would never lie to me. And that's a big, that's a real issue. That's a real problem. I wrote at the beginning of the postscript that uh, is for the book, the gleaming critical analysis presented in this volume covers genuine living history of our post-World War II world, beginning during the seminal 20th century period when the U.S. federal covert agencies stepped into the big time, carrying out the spate of political assassinations, including Patrice Lumumba, President John Kennedy, Malcolm X, Martin King, Robert Kennedy, Fred Hampton, John Lennon. The former peak of this wave was the one-two punch operation of the 11 September 2001 bombings, followed by the anthrax attacks. Today's ongoing three-year psychological Operation Fear and Chaos is the penultimate rubber-meets-the-road implementation of what Vincent Salandria understood over a half-century ago in 1971, quote, Secret elitist police organizations such as the CIA do not thrive on peace, democracy, and a contented and informed people. The power of intelligence agencies increases in direct proportion to to the degree of sickness of a nation. A healthy and united people can localize the cancer of a power-usurping intelligence agency and eventually extirpate its malignant cells from the nation's political life. Therefore, the intelligence apparatus which killed Kennedy has a need to keep our society in turmoil. It has, in order to maintain its power, to generate a high degree of chaos Chaos is required to make a people willing to accept such strong medicine as is administered by the secret police in order to restore order and to stabilize a disintegrating society. It takes an acutely sick society to be able to accept as palatable the terrible cure. Totalitarianism. So, and then I just followed my next sentence the relentless 24 7 print broadcast and digital programming by corporate Empire State Press, come back screen, don't blank out, is a compelling and deadly soporific for humanity to continually ingest. And, and jumping back for one moment, so the structure of this book, the September, the Pentagon's B movie is broken into three parts. The first part is September 11 and the anthrax attacks. The second part is false flag analyses ranging from the Kennedy assassination, Martin Luther King, Canada's October 22nd shootings. We need a public inquiry, uh, 2015, that Graham was heavily focused on. Remember Pearl, remember Pearl Harbor provoking Japan, provoking North Korea, Triggering War, The Urgent Need to Understand Catalytic catalytic Events That Initiate War, Pipe Bombs, Frantic Denunciation of the False flag Concept, and The Betrayal of India, A Close Look at the 2008 Mumbai Terror Attacks. And then the third section is 9-11, Primary Source Evidence. And these are the hardcore scholarly – they're more than essays – Uh, There's their PDFs, 60 pages, 72 pages, uh, 118 witnesses, the firefighters' testimony to explosion in the Twin Towers. That's from 2006. Uh, Eyewitness evidence of explosions in the Twin Towers, 2011, that's shorter. Sonic booms in the collapse of the Twin Towers, letter to the editor only five pages, 2007. Waiting for seven WT7 collapse warnings in the FDY, FDNY oral histories, 24 pages. The missing jolt: a simple refutation of the NIST Bazant collapse hypothesis with Tony Samzotti, Samzotti, uh 727 pages. Did the Earth shake before the South Tower hit the ground? 2009, 72 pages. And then the last two are huge with, I think, more than 200 video excerpts or pieces. The, the, the last two, the first one is how, twin, how 36 Reporters Brought Us the Twin Towers Explosive Demolition on 9-11 with Ted Walter. That was originally published July 2020. And then the, the last one, The Triumph of the Official Narrative, How the TV Networks Hid the Twin Towers' Explosive Demolition of 9-11, also with Ted Walter. That's from September 2022. So, so this is a very, very significant work. And uh, with another friend of Graham's from Canada, he and I are are picking up the Torch and continuing to carry the flame. We're, we're in the process. There is now a single PDF file for free available listed at the top of the contents. No, it's listed at the top of the entry page and the contents page that somebody can download. It doesn't necessarily have any of the digital video media in it. And we are also preparing to make an ebook and a print on demand book. That will only include text, no images, no, of course, digital videos, And no images, primarily so that we don't I don't have to go through the hassle of trying to get copyright permission or payment or whatever to be able to to include images. we're just going to have to be the text, which will also make it infinitely easier to just put out there without having to go through any legal crap. Those two will be coming, this is May, hopefully before the end of this year. Both of those will be for sale and any and all proceeds, I'm going to set it up, of sale from those will go to Graham's wife. So um, that's coming, but, but that'll be in time. Uh, I, I quote in the postscript um, four, four pieces from different things he wrote and I have the paragraph leading into that, John, Kirby's appreciation of Graham's profound empathy for our single, fragile, irreplaceable, and supremely gifted human family is a good summary driving the motivation to assist in producing this non pareal collection. A sliver of Graham's understanding of how our world actually operates is ever more relevant today. And of the four, I want to read the last one because it's really, um, it's very apropos. This is from Triumph of the Official Narrative. To study the day's events of September 11th as they unfolded on television is to experience in a shockingly direct way how a well-oiled propaganda system of which television is a central component can spin grand and lethal yarns that silence the citizens who experience, who witness, who suffer, and who constitute the epistemic backbone of democracy. The ability of this propaganda system to achieve the triumph of the official narrative in a matter of hours, and I'll just parenthetically include that that official narrative took a matter of a couple of weeks in March and early April of 2020 of what we are still and will continue to have to deal with now. The ability of this propaganda system to achieve the triumph of the official narrative in a matter of hours suggests to us that while good science is necessary for dispelling the official narrative, alone it may not be sufficient. Oftentimes, researchers, engineers, scientists, academics, etc., carry on their research as if they were merely studying the natural world. A world that has no interest in the researchers and does not look back at them. But in cases such as 9-11, researchers are working within an intellectual context shaped by an intelligent opponent. This opponent is neither inert nor disinterested, but looks back at the researcher. It has intentionally laid down sets of false claims and dead end trails and can be expected to continue to do so. This does not mean that researchers and activists should give up their focus on good science. Rather, it means that those who are dedicated to revealing the truth about 9 11 must think deeply about how to carry out good science and good communication within the specific contents of a still ongoing psychological operation. Evidence could not stop the official narrative from triumphing on 9-11 and evidence alone will not defeat the official narrative now. Th- that's That's like... When they, when the powers that be used to go on and on and on, 24/7, 365, about the commie threat and how they're going to jump out of the closet and come out from under the bed and just scared us to death for decades, that was replaced in September 2001 by the terrorist threat. But that threat was only another stage up the ladder. Now, over three years ago, we have the supreme threat, which is the invisible can't smell it, can't see it, not just nuclear radiation, but the invisible virus of unknown origin that's novel, that's never been here before, that's going to kill millions of people if we jump. Boy, we have to just give up everything for this threat. Yeah, It'll only take two weeks to flatten the curve, and and then and then we'll be okay. And now it's over three years. Anyways. I wrote a little bit more on this postscript. In, in a 2017 exchange with Marty Schatz, Vincent Salandria, Ed Curtin, William Whitney, Rodolfo Cardona, and me, Graham wrote about the process he explored in writing Beyond Their Wildest Dreams*. September 11, 2001, in the United States left. His motivation was, quote, to understand how people come to know the world and how we can open up closed minds, unquote. He explains some of this as his, quote, imagination approach, unquote, in the following. And this is from the email to all of us that he wrote. I adopted the word imagination from German philosopher Gunther Anders, whose 1962 article, Thesis for the Atomic Age, had a big effect on me over the years as a peace and environmental activist. Anders said that in the nuclear age, we are doomed if we don't have imagination. He said, the basic dilemma of our age is that we are smaller than ourselves, incapable of mentally realizing the realities which we ourselves have produced. Therefore, we might call ourselves inverted utopians. While ordinary utopians are unable to actually produce what they are able to visualize, we are unable to visualize what we are actually producing. And then Graham continues, he also said that escapists of today do not hide in, the, in imagination. They hide in the ivory tower of perception. Because the senses are, quote, senselessly narrow, unquote. So he was giving a power to this word, imagination, that we don't normally give it. Imagination is what we give ourselves to when we have the courage to face the world, to actually visualize what is going on. It is, he says, part. Of the courage to be afraid, and from that I lead into describing briefly his anthrax Attacks books, and and after that uh, I go on a few more things, and uh, so and and talking about in this context of the intellectual opponents' endgame, we're dealing. We continue to deal with. An intellectual opponent it's not something that's inert and not human and one of the obvious and as I write one of the obvious indicators of the opponents intentionally directed psychological operation was and remains addressing the question of why in April 2020 the only solution Announced from on high was that we had to wait for an experimental gene, gene therapy injection for every human being on Earth, while simultaneously denying approval of chloroquine, hydroxychloroquine, ivermectin, budesonide, vitamin D, and a host of other effective, safe, cheap, repurposed drugs as efficacious remedies available in 2020 to successfully treat, quote, COVID-19, unquote. The obvious answer, if repurposed drugs were acknowledged by officialdom to be effective, proven treatment protocols to prevent and treat COVID, then the emergency use authorization, which was, is, only valid if, quote, there are no Adequate, approved, and available alternatives. Unquote. It would be invalid. the, the EUA would be invalid. And, and I started in 2020 to I briefly communicated with uh, Tess Laurie, M.D., Ph.D. She is, she is on fire. She was a independent consultant for WHO for uh, studies of Of uh, reports and efficacy of research and whatever. Uh, She'd been called the conscience of medicine. In March 2020, she succinctly summarized the intellectual opponent's C-19 deception. And she said, for me, what's really important about ivermectin is that ivermectin is actually the key to unlocking all the secrets of this pandemic, because it turns out, hydroxychloroquine was squashed as well. And if ivermectin or hydroxychloroquine had been approved, there would have been no lockdowns. There would have been no masking or any of that necessary because they're really good at reducing transmission. Ivermectin, especially as it works for prevention as well as treatment, there would have been no emergency use authorization of experimental novel treatments that includes the new gene-based She called them vaccines, but we'll talk about that in a minute. If you understand what COVID is all about, if you want to understand what COVID is all about, then you've got to start with ivermectin. And that really unlocks the whole mystery. And as I write after that, another indicator of the intelligent opponent's agenda is that C-19 injection program is that the C-19 injection program is a military prototype project. The contents of the vials being used in the experimental injections are the property of the United States Department of Defense until they are injected into people's arms. The contents of the vials are not publicly known. Hence, the Nuremberg Code of Informed Consent has been thrown out the window. Doctors and scientists who've gotten hold of the vials to analyze their contents are, quote, breaking the law, unquote, of examining these proprietary materials. As Attorney Warner, oh, I have an error here. As Attorney Warner Mendenhall has explained, Quote, hundreds of millions of people have now been subjected to a prototype project by the Department of Defense under its other transactional authority. The prototype project includes invention, production, supply chain, mechanisms and injections, planning and performance. And I just finished a thing yesterday that's out on Radical of uh, his name is Warner Mendenhall. Uh, There's a, a, a woman named Brooke Jackson. She was part of a clinical, she came into a program for a clinical trial of Pfizer. I think it was in Texas. And she saw all these things right off the bat that were, were the, the whole protocol was not being followed. Uh, people were there that had no business being there due to the injections. All these f- rules were being broken. So she, con- she reached out to the FDA. And she said, hey, there's something really wrong here. you got to stop this. you got to step in. And the FDA apparently contacted Ventavia, the company that had hired Brooke Jackson. And within, I think, one to three hours of her contacting the FDA, Ventavia fired her. It's a very, very, very significant case and story. Warner Mendenhall is Brooke Brooke Jackson's attorney. And there's a post that I put out yesterday. It's only, uh, how long is this? This is something like 18, about 14 minutes long. I made a transcript of a 14-minute segment from an April 26, 2023 recording in such a time as this, a top attorney's perspective, Mendon Hall on the Brooke Jackson case. He was interviewed by... Scott I think I'm pronouncing his last name correctly Scott Shara Scott lost his daughter teenage daughter Grace in I guess it was 2021 Grace was murdered in a hospital and this brings us to another part of something that's I've worked up uh, that has gotten practically no press. You know, the press doesn't want to touch this. And, and where they have, of course, it's a conspiracy theory and blah, 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 blah. Vera Shirov is a Holocaust survivor. She was born in 1937. She, her mother gave her up as an orphan from a concentration camp that wasn't, it was more like a staging camp. It wasn't a death camp in Romania. In, I don't know I don't know when, 42 or 43, maybe something. As an orphan, her father had already died of something—not hepatitis, something else—from just the terrible health conditions in this camp. Her mother didn't make it; she also died. But she gave up Vera as an orphan. Called her an orphan. She got somehow out of the camp. She took. Uh, she never. She connected more with adults rather than people her own age. She was, I don't know, uh, like six or seven then. She was on a train and befriended a family, a small family, on the train who were all going to some port where they were going to go on boats to somewhere in Palestine or somewhere in the Middle East. I think it was in 43. I may have this wrong. Got to the dock. She wanted to go with – they wanted to divide the children into one boat and the adults into another. She wanted to go with these with this family that she was with, and she would not get into the boat with the children. And she stamped her foot, and she sat on her valets on the dock, and the boat left without her, and she eventually was in the boat with the, with the family. They learned the next day or soon after that a German U-boat had torpedoed the boat with the children, and all the people on that boat died. So she learned a very important lesson. To trust your own hunches and instincts and intuition and ideas and thoughts. Trust yourself, because it saved her life. And she eventually made it to the United States. I don't know when, and and uh, she started this Advance Alliance for Research in Human Protection, AH Alliance for Human Research Protection, AHRP. I can't remember when she started. She's the founder and director of it. And I saw her uh, and, and uh, made a copy of a transcript of a talk from October of 2020, I think it was. I got a lot of pushback putting this up on the Hidden History Center. Um, I'm just looking it up because I don't have it off the top of my head. And it's called Nazism, COVID-19, and the Destruction of Modern Medicine, an interview with Vera Sharov. Part one, and it, it struck me a lot. I, I knew a teeny bit about her before that. I focused more on her after that. And when I put this up on the Hidden History Center, the web part of John Judge's Museum of Hidden History that he set up when he was alive with Marilyn Tenenoff in 2012, before he died two years later, I administer and run the hiddenhistorycenter.org site, and I put this up and. Maryland got quite a bit of uh, of uh, negative pushback from people, some of whom were more significant donors because they didn't like the the reference or the the coupling of Nazis with COVID-19. They didn't like that, and so I kind of backed off. I was starting to make this sixth category of the site that summer pandemic parallax view, the same name as the directory on radical that I started in April 2020. But I I kept putting some stuff into that, and now Three plus years later, I don't care what anyone says. They can they can push back all they want. This is censored, living, hidden history, becoming more so now by the day. And it didn't just start three years ago. Graham's point about the triumph of the official narrative of 9-11 and the way people acquiesced, it was a dry run. It was another dry run. This time the people, the oligarchs, the plutocrats of unimaginable wealth are making their final ploy. And, and as, as impossible as it would seem to believe that this is happening or that this is real, I, I am totally on board with the sense that this is happening to re- decrease the number of people alive on this planet and to, with AI, introduce a horrific, god-awful, unbelievably nightmarish digital dark age. Catherine Watt, who is another person I'm going to bring up in a bit, a a quote of hers from February 2022, a, a year and a half, a year two months ago, is so apropos. The goals and actions of the individual humans working on the global COVID-19 democide project are so brazenly and profoundly evil that good human minds shut down the instant they confront the information. We recoil instinctively, emotionally, cognitively, and spiritually from the extraordinary saturation of evil. We struggle to grasp how it can be so comprehensive in its scope and destructive in its force. So that all leads into this thing of never again it's global. in in uh, end of January, beginning of February this year, for five days, a five part documentary was aired on children's health defense through children's Health Defense, Robert Kennedy's organization. Robert F. Kennedy Jr. Never Again is Global. Never Again is Now Global. Is history repeating itself? And there are five episodes. The first one, Here We Go Again on Steroids. The second one, Anyone Who Wants to Start a War Has to Lie. The third one, Breaking the Veil of the Real Conspirators. The fourth one, This Time Around, We're All Jews. And the fifth one, never give in, never give up. As is my want to make text copy of things because that's what search engines find. Even the utterly corrupt, compromised search engine of them all, Google, which which I started seeing in 2018, 2019, before this thing happened, the, there was a drop off more and more with uh, site traffic to radical.org, and it's a small site. It's it's not it's not anything like the corporate or the nonprofit or whatever the gobby gobby sites that are you know have lots of money and do very rich eye candy sites. But I, I noticed nonetheless, yeah, it's dropping off, and then it really made sense come 2020 because clearly this is a verboten site. And and I must go back now to something else that's very, very, very relevant. I've I've quoted this before. Um, I have to remember where it is now. Uh, Heinlein. It's Heinlein. If I can spell it right, Robert. See, I try to have all these things. Here we go. Lined up. Um, the key that has locked everything up, making all the unspeakable, criminally unaccountable criminally unaccountable injury and death possible right before everyone's eyes is the suppression of all information analysis and open debate about the wisdom and intelligence of so-called democratic governing policies censorship is the ultimate tool to smother and exchange the free to smother and extinguish the free exchange of ideas and from this the freedom to think Robert Heinlein captured the essential power exercised by censorship in his 1949 novel, Revolt in 2010. The story revolved around efforts to overthrow a 100-year theocratical, totalitarian United States of America. Quote, I began to sense faintly that secrecy is the keystone of all tyranny, not force, but secrecy, censorship, when any government or any church, for that matter, undertakes to say to its subjects, quote, this you may not read, this you must not see, this you are forbidden to know, close quote. The end result is tyranny and oppression, no matter how holy the motives Mighty little force is needed to control a man whose mind has been hoodwinked. Contrarywise, no amount of force can control a free man, a man whose mind is free. No, not the rack, not fission bombs, not anything. You can't conquer a free man. The most you can do is kill him. And I follow that uh, little excerpt by something from James Howard Kunstler, American Inquisition, from his blog Clusterfuck Nation, 17 October 2022. Quote, the thinking classes in America want to emulate the theocratic lunacy of the 16th century. They have become everything they used to despise as cruel, unjust, and crazy. Our authorities have disgraced themselves behind a new theology of degenerate, quote, science, unquote, that veers back into superstition and necromancy. Proof that they don't believe their own story shows in their desperate efforts to hide the data, confabulate numbers, ignore true facts, and lash out viciously at anyone who discloses their zealous deceits. So it's it's pretty bad, and and this never again is global. I went. I started in earlier February. It took me more than a month. I went through and made annotated transcripts of these five recordings. They're they're all about an hour plus in time, and not only annotating them in terms of the people that are talking, at times. Different uh, British Medical Journal or Lancet or, or newspaper or whatever else is flashed up of something that they're referring to. So I went and tracked back probably 98% of those that I could find. And instead of having an end note where you click on a link and goes down to the bottom of the file, I just made in square braces a numbering system of end notes immediately following that sentence. So you could click on and, and look at these are what they're referencing for what they're alluding to, what they're talking about. And then I also made a second set of annotations that are in different square braces with a different uh, numeric uh, uh, sym- symbolic system that are things that I wanted to reference and include for what's being referred to. So there's they're, they're something that I've wanted to make ever since I started Radical in 1995, something that for students of history and students of our world, if they find their way to this, then, then they can have – this This can be like a piece of the, of the global library, a real library that can actually have things that are not verboten and are not censored. I mean, they they still may be, And, and there's stuff about the Internet itself that is very, very, very problematic, not the least of which is that the Internet was created by DARPA, the Defense Advanced Research Projects Agency, in the 60s and 70s and 80s. And then it finally was handed over to private power in the 90s because it's corporate empire state time. But the military, make no mistake, is very, very, very central to so much of what we are being subjected to for decades and decades and decades. Anyways, Vera was was the director of Never Again is Now Global, and she describes her perspective as this. During these destabilizing three years, I have come to believe, like many other Holocaust survivors, that our survival was for a purpose, our fear is that we may be the last witnesses who remember how a highly educated society and its exemplary academic, scientific, and cultural institutions were perverted. Moral norms and legal safeguards were discarded. The fabric of society was torn apart as segments of the population were disqualified. Decent people became agents of industrialized mass murder. And she goes on, the survivors and family members in this documentary share their knowledge and their painful memories of the unprecedented industrial scale human catastrophe. We believe that the purpose of our survival is not only to remember but to warn others about how fear and propaganda condition people to follow repressive, even murderous, government dictates. We know how the suppression, how the suspension of personal freedom, the suspension of civil rights, and the silencing of dissent devolve into genocide. Current invocations of... Depopulation solutions are chilling and foreboding. Depopulation is invoked to solve supposed problems such as limited resources and global warming and climate change. An unprecedented mandatory vaccination campaign subjected hundreds of millions of people to an experimentally experimental, genetically manipulated injectable product. The product's safety and efficacy were untested. Its ingredients are top secret. And its promoters referred to this vaccine as the final solution, quote unquote, to the pandemic. She she writes, I interpret these ominous verbal references as veiled codes for another planned human catastrophe. That realization propelled me to embark on a project I had never engaged in before, a documentary with the intention to open people's minds to the current ominous genocidal solutions that a band of global oligarchs have set in motion. Another important objective of the documentary was to expose the false narrative that has, for decades, obscured the actual participation of multinational corporations, global financiers, and family dynasties who facilitated and, profit, pro, who facilitated and profiteered from the genocidal Nazi regime and its slave labor force. Never Again is Now Global is the only documentary dealing with the Holocaust directed by a Holocaust survivor. In addition to survivors, our documentary brings together testimonies of children and grandchildren, of survivors and victims, German descendants of victims, as well as a grandson of Nazi scientists, The participants who expressed their alarm about the current nefarious global operation includes doctors, scientists, a rabbi, and African-American freedom fighters. And Uwe Alshner, who I met in 2020 in the small Pandemic Parallax View correspondence group that I administer the list for, he is is an incredibly dedicated soul, and also a historian, he gave testimony in the fifth episode saying, this documentary was produced to facilitate a discussion within the general public about similarities between events leading up to the Holocaust and the present events all around the world in what was called, quote, the COVID pandemic, unquote. As is laid out in the report of the President's Commission on the Holocaust, Presented on September 27th, 1979, quote, a survivor sees himself or herself as a messenger and guardian of secrets entrusted to them. A survivor feels he or she may be the last to remember, the last to warn, unquote. This documentary is intended to serve as a warning to humanity. Never again is now global. We encourage you to watch and share this important documentary. However, as a disclaimer, at the start of, at the start of the, as the start of the film points out, more typos, the documentary code contains true life images of atrocities then and now. Viewer discussion, viewer discretion is advised. And getting back to Warren Mendehall, this is all from a, a segment on Hidden History about Never Again is now global. I quote uh, Warren Mendenhall describing the past as prologue as he points up, quote, a beautiful court ruling during a national emergency. In our current national and worldwide emergency, the suppression of dissent in the face of compulsory shots and medical protocols and the suppression of a variety of treatments for COVID 19 has killed millions. He wrote this in September 2022, calling it, The Law is Literary. And this is a quote from 1943 Supreme Court case, West Virginia State Board of Education versus Barnett. Quote, Struggles to coerce uniformity of sentiment in support of some end thought essential to their time and country have been waged by many good as well as well as by evil men. Nationalism is a relatively recent phenomenon, but at other times and places, the ends have been racial or territorial security, support of a dynasty or regime, and particular plans for saving souls. As first and moderate methods to attain unity have failed, those bent on its accomplishment must resort to an ever-increasing severity. Those who begin coercive elimination of dissent soon find themselves exterminating dissenters. Compulsory unification of opinion achieves only unanimity of the graveyard. So we've seen warnings before. And below this, I have a number of links to The Toll of Deaths, I have an ongoing set of appendices in what I published in December, History Will Not Absolve Us, uh, Be Liberated from the United States of Denial, leveraging Marty's 1996 book. A lot of ongoing appendices of deaths and injuries, reports, articles, analysis, data, etc., uh, from the experimental injections is staggering and for, for too many, quote, unbelievable. Attorney Todd Callender describes some of the unbelievable dynamic of what is occurring in hospitals. This is from a March 2022 uh, interview he did for the Corona Committee. I made a transcription of the entire, uh, tra- of the entire talk, and it's annotated with all kinds of links. Why do I say the hospitals are murdering people, says Attorney Callender? Because I'm involved in trying to get people out of them. As part of my analysis in trying to help people escape the ICU intensive care, I've stumbled on a variety of things that are really quite interesting from a legal perspective. And that is that in 2008, the U.S. government merged public health with law enforcement with the judiciary and with corrections all four of them are now under one roof my client went in with an aneurysm the client was nonetheless treated in ex- in the exact same format i'm telling you about with medazolam with remdesivir they put him in the covid covid ward he never had covid But what they did instead was they doped him up on morphine and fentanyl and a variety of cocktail drugs. I called the hospital's lawyer and said, listen, we want to move him to other care. And the hospital lawyers told me, no, your client is going to die in our hospital. This was his words. And at the bottom of this, then again, I mentioned this before, Scott Shara gives testimony in episode five of how his daughter Grace was murdered in the hospital. And in his second segment, Scott explains the horror that has seared his soul. He, and he's totally on fire now. He, he is he's doing the work. He said, you have, you have this white coat phenomenon. Grace died because I trusted the white coat, and I don't want anybody to fall trapped to that. And the bigger picture is the elites believe we've got to control the population because the planet can't sustain itself. So they invent COVID and then they use it as a cover as step one to implement this massive agenda. It's all out there. But I mean, people don't want to believe this. And I didn't either. I mean, you think it can't be this bad, but it is that bad. I mean, I am just the dad who is learning that in real time, and I'm awake now. And once you're awake, you can't stop sharing this. This has become my life. Jessica, either his daughter or his wife, called me after one of the interviews, and she said, there must be a daughter, Dad, Grace is looking down from you and saying, way to go, earthly dad. The numbers are staggering. The government's paid out hospitals already, as in the form of COVID treatment bonuses, including death bonuses, $4 trillion. And there's a link to the article for that. This is the United States, another link. $4 trillion has already been paid out to implement this agenda, another link. We're the only country with over a million deaths attributed to COVID, another link. We're the only country where remdesivir is the recommended treatment, another link. The only one, and parenthetically, remdesivir, Fauci's only treatment, has is known to cause kidney failure. It, it's It's so evil. It's so unbelievable that that's the best way to get people to go on. Oh, that couldn't be happening, close parenthetically. The single most important thing that shocked me is how corrupt our government. They are so corrupt. There's not one thing that they say that you can trust. It's just mind blowing to me. It's like zombies walking around. We need a 16th booster. Let's go. I can hardly wait to get my next booster. I mean, are you kidding me? Their neighbor dies. The person's been perfectly healthy. Their neighbor dies. Don't you connect? Don't you even think? Well, he just got the jab two weeks ago. Well, that has nothing to do with his death. I mean, my gosh, this stuff is, it's just happening right in front of you, but you cannot, you refuse to connect the dots. Five more links. That is also part of the banality of evil. They've trained critical thinking out of the school system. But if you don't cut off the head of the cobra, it keeps coming back. But what's the head of the cobra? It isn't these individuals carrying out the work. It isn't that they shouldn't have consequences and be accountable. I'm not against that at all. But eugenics never died until that stops. And that's in the heart of men. So until the hearts are changed, this can't be stopped. History is always doomed to repeat itself. Because we don't deal with the head of the cobra, which is the heart, which is the heart of man. Our research is: this is a worldwide holocaust. So, getting back a little bit to the part about... Oh, I got. I want to say one more thing. I, I'm very connected with uh, Uwe Alschner, and uh, he wrote me in mid-February after the documentary was out for a week and a half, Um, I received word from Uwe about the third rail treatment the documentary was getting by media establishments. And he wrote, excuse me, the German media, even the so-called alternative media, are afraid to touch it. Some argue that it would be inappropriate to put a Jewish ID card next to a vaccine passport on the poster of the film. So they are silencing Holocaust survivors. I am shocked that people would not understand that this film calls not for agreement, but for debate. If only we would start debating, then all else would fall into place. But instead, it's book burning and omerta again. So this thing about these injections, Warner Mendenhall is, uh, he's hes in the fight. He's definitely going. And he, this case with Brooke Jackson is a lot of, they're trying to get discovery from Pfizer. And there are, it, its it's just, it goes deeper and deeper into unfathomable, unconscionable evil. The second appendix, Pfizer post-marketing dated December 2020 to February 2021, the first three months of the injections rollout of the only thing we could wait for was a new quote-unquote vaccine th- thanks to Herr Fauci in the spring of 2020. This is appendix two of history will not absolve us. This is, and I write, this is a minuscule portion of what the United States Food and Drug Administration of the United States Executive Branch of the United States Federal Government tried and failed to lock away from we the people and deny access to for 75 years. Pages 30 to 38 lists 1,284 adverse events in this 5.3.6 cumulative analysis of post-authorization adverse events reports of P- blah, 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 received through 28 February 2021. And i th- it's in a PDF file. And there's the last eight pages. I took out the text of all those last eight pages and just flowed them into HTML. So they're all a single line themselves panning down and down and down and down in the web browser from where this list starts. The thing about all of this cover this censorship of, of, of results that, that Pfizer, which was contracted by the government to make these warp speed gene therapy, never been tried before, they've never made a quote-unquote vaccine for a coronavirus, and they rolled this thing out. Usually it takes eight to ten years with all the different processes and protocols and steps Oh, but we're going to do it really, really fast. We'll be fine. And so the FDA tried to lock away this data from public discussion and evaluation for 75 years. This group called, what's it called? It's called PHMPT. Uh, God, I can't remember what it's called. If I could just get it here. Public Health and Medical Professionals for Transparency Uh, made up a public health Professional scientists, and journalists submitted a Freedom of Information request to the FDA for all data within Pfizer's C-19 vaccine biological file. Their sole purpose is to make the biological products file data publicly available for each of the vaccines, enabling an independent review and analysis starting with Pfizer. The FDA tried to lock it away for 75 years." PHMPT sued the FDA for not releasing the data, and in February 2022, Federal Judge Mark Pittman ordered the FDA to release redacted versions of the documents. Pfizer documents began being released in November 2021, and starting that December are released in batches at the beginning of each month at this PHMPT site. And at present, they only have, through April of this month up there, there's six hundred and seventy-seven documents. It's a mass, it's a it's a trove of the actual data that we the people were not allowed to see. Why? Why can't we see? Why can't we know what's in the vials that's the property of the Department of Defense? And going back to Werner Mendenhall, if I can find what I wrote about him, oh dear. He he was pointing out in this thing that I made the transcript of yesterday. Let me find it. I'm not well organized for this, as usual. Here we go. Uh, he was pointing out, <clears throat> this is a military program by the Department of Defense, and the purpose of the program is in their contract is for military preparedness. So it's a military program. People need to understand that. And the judge, the judge that denied the Brooke Jackson case, it dismissed the case. Mendenhall is talking about how he can use the, the data from the case to push for greater and greater transparency. So even though they lost, they can still make use of what the case covered. And he said, we are working on some additional filings that have to be in by the end of the week because we are going to ask the judge for an opportunity to address anything and everything he thought we could do to bolster our complaints. But what's interesting is his order, because his order lays bare some things that I think the American public needs to know. The first thing that I think is a growing awareness is that this is not an FDA or HHS or CDC or National Institutes of Health program. This is a military program by the Department of Defense. Purpose of the program is in their contract for military preparedness. People don't know that. And the judge makes this very clear in his ruling. I think what's important about having it in a judicial ruling, this is the benefit of even a losing battle, a losing case, I don't think people realize or if you tell them it's a DOD project, I don't think they understand the implications of that. I don't think they get it. I don't think they'd be like, how is this a military project? And they don't believe you as an attorney or a commentator or whatever. But now we have a judge, a federal judge who's telling the world it was a Department of Defense program for military readiness, which apparently involves all the civilians in the United States. And it is a prototype project. It's not even a finished product. It's a prototype. And he talks about a car. Uh, I, I, well, he says, I'm sorry. I think that also raised a question in people's mind. Well, should I take a prototype? A prototype in De- in Detroit. They actually sculpt the cars out of clay, and they'll have prototype design that you, can, you can't you can get in there and start it. There is no in there. It's just a clay vehicle. I like cars. So you can see them sculpt and figure out what the shapes and test it in wind, wind tunnels. That's a prototype. This is the same thing. It's a prototype. It's not a finished product. So, again, DRD Project, it's a prototype, and it's not even – to use the word vaccine is just – it's just astounding throughout this. I'll probably sprinkle, quote, vaccine, unquote, in my talk here a little bit as well, just because it's so ubiquitous in conversation. But this is not a vaccine. This is called a countermeasure. That's what That's what other people, Sasha Latipova and Catherine Watt, incredible sources of our world and what's actually going on in analysis and the countermeasure if you look at the law is to respond to a biological attack biological chemical nuclear attack so this is a biological i think it is it's implicit in what's happening is that we are under biological attack this is the most general generous way we can look at what our government is doing the generous way is that somebody in the government said we are under biological attack which nobody's telling us about in the media, and we have to develop a countermeasure to a biological attack. That might be a more honest way to present this to the American people, but they haven't presented it that way. But then we look at the product itself, and because it's not a finished product and because the trials, as we alleged in Brooks' case, were fraudulent, we don't have good data as to what this even does. And there's certainly not any excuse to inject this substance in the vast majority of Americans or even people worldwide. So what have we got? About 20 minutes. Um, So a couple more quick things. Catherine Watt is a paralegal. She is on fire. I quote, uh, thing and, and replicate the beginning of it in Hidden History Center and on Radical about something she originally put together in April 2022 with many, many, many ongoing updates called American, Bio- American Domestic Bioterrorism Program. And also that SARS CoV 2, COVID 19, is a US DOD military prototype project and she she in this domestic terrorism bioterrorism program she leads off with i started looking closely at the legal architecture supporting the covid national prison panopticon on january 30th 2020 after hearing attorney todd calendar's interview which provided information about the american domestic legal framework how it fit with the oddly coordinated pandemic story told by governments worldwide, and how it relates to the World Health Organization International Health Regulations of 2005 at the center. A lot of things that were once federal and state crimes and civil rights violations have been legalized by Congress through legislative statutory revisions of the United States Code signed by U.S. presidents and implemented at the administrative regulatory level by the Department of Health and Human Services and the Department of Defense through the Code of Federal Regulations. I've reported on those findings in small bits and pieces connecting the laws to court cases, executive orders, guidance documents for industry and researchers, academic papers, intellectual property patents, regulatory amendments, psychological manipulation programs, geopolitical developments, and other facts as they floated across my field of view. I think the critical decay began around 1983. When the quote public health emergencies unquote section was added to the 1944 Public Health Services Act, Service Act, although the 1944 PHSA itself re- represented an additional militarization of human medicine in the United States, most of the worst laws have been passed since 2000, just before. and the U.S. Department of Defense false flag anthrax attacks. And then the core thing that I begin below that, just the beginning of it, a January 2003 nine-page PDF version, summary, in effect, of the American Domestic Bioterrorism Program timeline with five pages of footnotes, begins. The title is Legal History, American Domestic Bioterrorism Program, Enabling Statutes regulations executive orders guidance documents and budget allocations at least six congressionally authorized statutory frameworks and related budget appropriations reinforced through presidential executive orders and related executive branch declarations and implemented through hundreds of regulatory amendments mostly promulgated through the federal register since 1969 appear to have authorized and funded a coordinated u.s government attack actors on the American people targets using non-compliant biological material bio agents distributed across state borders labeled as quote COVID-19 vaccines unquote. These bioagents have been fraudulently marketed by the U.S. government and pharmaceutical bioweapons manufacturers, including Pfizer, Moderna, Johnson and Johnson, and their manufacturing subcontractors as "quote safe and effective vaccines." Unquote. Following the transfer of the U.S. government's chemical and biological warfare program housed in the Department of Defense to the Public Health Emergency Emergency Use Authorization Medical Countermeasures program, now housed in the Department of Health and Human Services and jointly operated by DOD, HHS, Department of Homeland Security, Department of State, most other federal agencies and their subordinate subordinate departments, divisions, offices, authorities, enterprises, committees, advisory boards, and employees. The stuff's there. It's very deep. It's very, very thick, and yet we just, we just don't know about it. And if there was debate, and if there wasn't censorship from the state, there's a number of ongoing lawsuits more and more now by Robert F. Kennedy Jr.'s Children's Health Defense and, and a lot of other people. You know, lawsuits take a long time, and there's a lot of compromise in the minds of judges in the third branch of this federal government. That just well, but the the executive branch said this, and it's an emergency, so we can't do anything about this because it's a it's an emergency even though the emergency is supposed to be ended later this month. There's all this other stuff about that that really is just more smokescreen, more dissembling, more obfuscation, more shell game. Look, look here. Don't look there. It, it's They're not stopping. The, the international health regulations from the WHO, James Roguski is the point man on what, is being attempted through the WHO to cement a much more of a global control on national governments. This was started in the 1990s after the Rio, uh, the Rio conference in Brazil, 1992. Um, there's a whole thing about the power the, – I can't remember it right now. I have it someplace else. It's a great, great book from two journalists who went to that – conference and realized when it was supposed to be all this stuff about honoring indigenous rights and all this other stuff, it was really about protecting the growing and fledgling biomarket and the, and the control and ownership of genes. So somewhere around that time, there was something and I don't have it at my fingertips. Um, I'm sorry, but I have it on radical about how well in a way the majority of, I think it's something like 193 nation states on, the planet, signed this thing that gives the WHO other when an emergency declaration of, of a public health emergency, is uh, uh, PHIEC or EIC, a public health emergency of international concern, PHEIC, you could think of that as fake if you tried to spell out the phonetics of PH. EIC. A public health emergency of international concern as declared by the WHO kicks in something so far that to, to a degree allows the WHO to dictate what federal, what national governments have to follow and toe the line with and right now there's big big pushes to make that much more cemented so that basically there's there's nothing more like supposedly the United States of America or Brazil or China or what it's 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 mind blowing and very very difficult to uh, balance in the mind and and that's i guess one of the powerful things about it it's it's so hard to th- to wrap one's mind around it and yet it's it's very very much there um so i got about 10 minutes here's here's maybe the last thing this is the last this is part of the collage image collage on the top of pandemic parallax view that i finally updated about a month ago oh, only a couple of weeks and it just it shows a picture a, a drawing by an artist in UK named Bob Moran. He was working for the Telegraph or something newspaper, and he'd made these wonderful sat satiric cartoons, one panel cartoons, and they got way too edgy by, I guess, 2020 or 2021. So he got fired. So he started his own website. And and he's not he's not bound by anything. He's able to write the way he sees it. And he has this one frame image. Of three people, black and white, uh, a woman sitting in the back of the image. It's kind of close up of them. She looks like an adult female. Maybe she's a mother. She has a mask on. She's holding a little boy on her lap who has a cigarette in his mouth. And then we can't see the face of what looks like a nurse in front with a mask, having a lighter who's going to light the cigarette of the child. And the kid's eyes are like, what? And the name of that cartoon is do no harm. So the 11th uh, segment of this collage is do no harm. And if you click on the, there's a thing said, you know, click on right below the image, you can click on it to see the links. And then there it says, click on this for more details. And the, the 11th detail in this long, 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 long file is what I'm about to read. Sasha Latipova is a Soviet expat. A brief background describes her experience as an ex-pharma biotech professional with 25 years' experience in clinical trials, clinical technologies, and regulatory approvals. She owned, managed several contract research organizations, worked for 60-plus pharma companies worldwide, and interacted with the FDA as part of a scientific industry consortium on improving cardiac safety assessments in clinical trials. In her own words, quote, I am a retired pharmaceutical R&D executive. I worked in pharma clinical trials and ran several clinical research organizations working for 60-plus pharma farmers worldwide. My clients included Pfizer, J&J, AstraZeneca, and many other large and smaller companies. I also worked with the FDA and helped helped my clients prepare regulatory data submissions. I have an MBA degree from Dartmouth. Regarding bioweapons, all of this is based on me reading publicly available information. There are numerous DOD and academic studies, reports, and textbooks on this topic available online. And as she says in October 2022, in uh, what I call C-19 Injections, Regulatory and Manufacturing Fraud, it's a talk, it's a recording uh, she uh, was in with Tessalina, who's on fire as well. She said at the very beginning of this, the intentional part. It's fully intentional. But they ask me, is it depopulation or genocide? I can't get into the head of a criminal. Nobody can. So the purpose of why they're doing this, I don't know. But I know for sure it's intentional. That's what the data shows. And that's what their behavior shows. And all the documents. Of course, all these government officials in CDC and FDA and NIH, they all know They all know how many people have died. They have great data to follow it. They've known it since day one. They followed thousands of deaths, and they're under no confusion about this. So the fact that they continue is just intentional. Now, so then I'm gonna skip through some stuff. Somebody named Julian Gillespie, LLB, I think it's, well, LLB comma B Juris. I don't know what LLB stands for. He wrote this on March 2023. The canaries in the human DNA mine identifies and analyzes the criminal intent of changing human DNA. Here's the abstract. Decades of sophisticated and detailed legislation created to safeguard humanity from exposure to genetically modified organisms was ignored or legislated away in an instant when SARS-CoV-2 arrived. This was done with intention and not for the good of humanity. The lnp M-O-D-R-N-A vaccines, quote-unquote, always fulfilled the legal definitions for being categorized as genetically modified organisms. Pfizer, Moderna, and regulators all knew this. The claims by Pfizer and Moderna, repeated by regulators and complicit politicians, that MODRNAs do not enter the cell nucleus and reverse transcribe into the human genome were lies made knowingly. Over four decades of scientific knowledge that started with a Nobel Prize only pointed to MOD RNAs integrating into the human genome. The WHO and regulatory experts everywhere did not want to inform the global population about these facts. And there's another one that follows this. David Hughes analyzes what is in the so-called COVID-19, quote, vaccines, unquote, part one evidence of a global crime against humanity. That was published September 2022 from the International Journal of Vaccine Theory, Practice and Research. Uh, That's that that's pretty awful. And it's very long. I I don't know how many pages. There's all these images in there of what's in these things. And it's there's all these nanoparticles and they have these geometric shapes. And it's it's like a a stupid sci-fi awful movie about contagion or whatever. But this isn't a movie. This is our world run amok by people who do not relate to humanity. They don't, they don't have empathy. They, they, they don't have these other qualities that most of us who do can't imagine. But how could somebody be like that? How could the Nazis be like that? How could Stalin and so many other people who followed his orders be like that? How could Mao be like that? it, it its it, But it can't happen here. It cannot happen here. Finally... Well, two more things. Dr. Roger Hodkinson is a general practitioner and a medical specialist in pathology, a national pathology board examiner and laboratory accreditation inspector, a graduate of Cambridge University and a fellow of the College of American Pathologists and the Royal College of Physicians and Surgeons of Canada. He began voicing his concerns about our upside down world in 2020. In the following August 2020 recording, Why Is No One Talking About Sudden Death Doctor Syndrome, he speaks with Laura Lynn Tyler Thompson. The following excerpt focuses on the very future promulgation of the human species in terms of fertility and infertility in both men and women. Hodkinson said, this has to stop, not just for children, but for the entire population. It's the most catastrophic intervention in medical history. It's at that scale of enormity. As a pathologist with a very full, extensive career, I have opened up hundreds of uteruses that have come from the operating room. The gynecologists take take it out. They don't open it up we do as pathologists in order to look at the pathology to take sections and look at them microscopically. I can tell you that the endometrium is the luscious, most fragile tissue in the entire human body. You can put your finger in it just like you can put your finger in the brain. It's extremely delicate, and it's meant to be so as a nurturing environment for the fertilized ovum that comes down the fallopian tube and implants into the endometrium. The blood vessels in the endometrium are exquisitely fragile. Witness how easy it is to make them bleed a woman's menstrual period every month. Those vessels are all lined by a receptor for the spike protein. The receptor is called the ACE2 receptor. So it, it should come as no surprise to hear of all these menstrual abnormalities that are happening after vaccination. Because the spike protein, being massively overproduced in some women, hones in on many blood vessels, including the blood vessels in the lining of the uterus, causing them to thrombose or bleed, hence the reason for the menstrual abnormalities post-vaccination so-called. But that's merely the backdrop. That fertilized ovum that's traveling down, hoping to be received by the welcoming, lush endometrium, suddenly finds itself landing in a space that's been devastated, not at all welcoming. And so the likelihood of that ovum implanting and having a successful pregnancy is much lower. And that's one of the principal reasons, I think, why are we why we are seeing a decline in fertility for women. The other reason is that the spike protein, the antibodies directed against the spike protein, which is the intended consequence of this clot shot, those antibodies against the spike protein happen to cross-react to a particular protein in the placenta called synthetic. I'm not pronouncing that correctly. And that attack against the developing placenta would be another reason for the developing fetus not to survive. But the story gets much, much more serious than that. Just a digression for a minute. Before getting into the developing female fetus, spermatozoa counts have been dropping internationally for decades for reasons that are unclear. But we do know that superimposed upon that, there's an additional 15% reduction in the concentration of spermatozoa following injection with the clot shot. So that compounds the problem, of course, of infertility, because that's only the count, by the way. It doesn't reflect the actual viability and metabolism of an individual spermatozoon. It's simply the crude count there may well be other functional abnormalities that are not being studied. Anyway, to get to the big point, the big point is this. We know from the freedom of information requested from the Japanese as a result of the Pfizer biodistribution report submission there. That was done by Dr. Brian Brittle out of Guelph. We do know that the study that was presented to the Japanese and released very reluctantly by Pfizer showed that nanoparticles without the mRNA mRNA inside them, just naked particles. When injected into rats, those particles honed on the rat ovaries to a very significant degree. The third highest concentration in the rat was in the rat ovaries. Now, baby girls are born with all the eggs they're ever going to have in their entire life. They don't make any more when they're born. It's about a million or so. And so each one of these ova is incredibly precious. So there could be an inflammatory attack going on against the ovary of a developing female fetus, because we also know that nanoparticles of that size are well known to pass through what we call the placental barrier, that thing that keeps the baby safe from all kinds of noxious, noxious things. So these nanoparticles from the clot shot that are known to be inflammatory are known to concentrate in rat ovaries, by the way, not studies, not studied in humans, conveniently, despite knowing that those nanoparticles known to be inflammatory are getting through the placenta and could be, again, not studied, could be attacking the ovary of the developing female fetus. Translation. This may not be simply an effect on fertility. It could be causing infertility only manifest 20 years later when that little girl becomes of reproductive age. This is the scale this is the scale of stuff that is not studied is still not studied things with gigantic consequences the only saving grace is that it seems at least in the states that parents are smartening up and are choosing not to get their children vaccinated so i'll close with this two Well, no, three things. Two observable facts. This is what Catherine Watt wrote in November 2022. Two observable facts that have helped some people see through the fog of this war and continue to help more people see through it all the time. One, FDA and other governments' drug regulatory agencies have not withdrawn authorizations or approval of the drugs, devices, and protocols yet, despite millions of injuries and deaths experienced by recipients of the products during the initial deployment phase, January to November 2020, including the fraudulent clinical trials for the injections, and since the general deployment of the injections that began in December 2020, if the products were intended for medicinal, healing, or protective purposes and were subject to regulation governing research and development production and use of medical drugs and devices, FDA and its counterparts in other countries would have stopped the programs as soon as the injuries and deaths became apparent. Instead, they have refused to even answer the question, what is the stopping condition And that links off to a thing she wrote about the whole thing about what is the stopping condition. There isn't one. And number two, independent third-party verification of viral contents is prohibited under the terms of the DOD-mediated contracts between purchasing governments and manufacturing corporations. In typical drug regulation frameworks, according to Sasha Ladapova, independent researchers can and do purchase products from manufacturers to verify that contents match labels and corroborate or disprove claims about safety and efficacy. And excuse me, that's all from Stopping Condition, 45-page version of the core U.S. statutory history and legal implications. So here's the last little thing. In uh, Pandemic Parallax View, uh, Part of Hidden History Center. The first, if you go into that category, at least as of today, the very first thing that's a a, a post is about what's called finance technologies, and finance is spelled H I for the first three letters instead of F I for the first two letters. Finance technologies quantifying three hundred thousand deaths from COVID nineteen injections. 14 billion damage to economy in just 2022 alone. And what this is, I start by quoting an article, uh, March 2023, by Michael Nevrodakis, published on Children's Health Defense, summarizing the work of former BlackRock portfolio manager Edward Dowd, Yuri Nunes, Ph.D., from Lisbon uh, Center for Physics and Technology Research and Carlos Alegria PhD uh, 2 in physic, 2 in physics optoelectronics and finance specializing in risk management and development of rate trading systems this article by Nevrodakis points at this amazing group called finance technologies when i found when i stumbled on this article in later March, end of March, I went to the website and the website was down. It was offline. You couldn't get to it. There was an error. And then for a couple of days, I tried to figure out what was going on. I tried to reach Ed Dowd through LinkedIn. He's, I'm sure, way too busy. He, he, by the way, wrote the book uh, that perhaps people know about called Cause Unknown. It's, it's a, it's a very, very disturbing and and just incredibly important book about all these people who just died, the epidemic of sudden deaths in 2021 and 2022, released December 2022. As a, as a financial uh, portfolio manager, he, he's focused totally on his whole life of looking at economic trends to figure out where things are going. These three guys set up this group called Finance Technologies. They have a thing in there called Humanity Projects. There's the V-damage project, vaccine damage. There's the the Excess Mortality project. They describe themselves as we do data-driven research to build knowledge for top-level decision-making. The mission is our passion is to add value by building knowledge using data driven research processes with knowledge informed decisions can be made with the possible risks and rewards emerging organically from the process to build knowledge we ask the right questions and then find out the answers through d- our data driven information gathering processes, the process is iterative, as the process, the I- process Is iterative as the research process typically runs through several feedback loops to increase refinement of our final knowledge. These guys are totally on fire. Their their work is incredibly relevant. Uh, Dowd posted this thing on his Twitter thing back in March, I guess. Estimated human costs, 22.6 million injuries, 1.36 million disabilities. 300,000 excess deaths, and that's and I've read other places where the estimations are much higher than a million deaths from these experimental injections. So it's out of hand. It's unbelievable. I can't take it. Don't tell me about this. I remember talking to people in the '70s when I first started looking at nuclear weapons, and and so many they just they were good meaning people, but don't don't tell me about that. I, there's nothing I can do about it. It's too awful. I I just can't deal with it that's writ large now with what's going on it's it's changed all of our lives there's there's so many connections in my life that i've lost including some very very irreplaceable family and otherwise it's it's this isn't an accident this isn't uh, oops this is an intentional spiritual global world war and and so as long as any of us can keep trying to make noise. We should keep doing that. I'm very interested in Robert Kennedy, Robert F. Kennedy Jr.'s announcement uh, mm-hmm. about running for the president. Of course, as he said, I may die in trying to do this. I mean, that's the logical end state of his bid. But at the very end, you know, the Democratic Party is gonna, not going to do primary debates anymore. They're just going to do their best to shut him out, even though I've heard from people who are they know something about what the uh, Democratic committee or whatever's thinking. They, they they definitely don't they don't want Biden. <laughs> I mean, the the walking corpse is not somebody. He's he's not going to be the candidate, at least for the Demo party. But um, at least RFK Jr. Thank God, somebody is stepping up there regardless of all the useless slandering and censorship and you know conspiracy theorist useless crap.
1: Oh, they're, he, but worse than that, they were calling him crazy.
0: Well, no, they have to. They have to put him down. They have to say, this man is not to be listened to. You cannot trust anything he says. They'll, they'll name all the, the ad hominem attacks. They'll never acknowledge anything about what he's talking about. Nothing. They cannot. Because if they did, then the king, the emperor would be shown to be naked. There's, there's, it's that level now. And it's been that way for a long time.
1: Yeah. And, and like you mentioned earlier, they want records sealed for 75 years.
0: Yeah. That sounds familiar, doesn't it?
1: Yeah. <laughs> it's in the JFK assassination. Yeah. Yeah. As well. And you know what we think of that, right? So yeah. um, at your website, Radical.org, the index, you'll you'll see the Pentagon's B-movie. Uh, then the next one is Never Again, Now Global. And it's all, um, you know, just history will not absolve us. Um, <laughs> there's more articles. You have an open letter to uh, Oliver Stone. John, John Hirschheimer, Hirschheimer. is great. So, and then the pandemic's parallax view. Good Lord, just go... Go through that if you've got uh, time, but pick one thing and just click on that link. Links everywhere. I know you're working some other things, so I'd like to have you back again because I, uh, I pre. First of all, I appreciated that uh, I was going through here and I had found um, you had make uh, included me in in good work. The um, <laughs> the 1968, um, me and Jeff had done. Um, well, the 50 reasons for 50 years yeah, was a yeah. series I made in 2013. Yep. Uh, which is uh well I'll leave it alone that's that's that and uh but we made another one for 2018 which i, sh- I shouldn't just say i forgot about but i was <laughs> pleasantly surprised to see that you had featured it there is something that was worthwhile that was well nine episodes but eight four on bobby kennedy and four on martin luther king and then one that i surmised everything yep. a conclusion and uh yeah you Made a link to that. And I was happy to see my artwork there. The first thing I thought, hey, I need that.
0: I know that one. Yeah. Well, and, and Len, this is another thing about it. It's so wild that in an age where people are so uninformed and, and don't know what's going on and think and tragically, horrifically, nightmarishly, they think they do. There's all there's never been more information out there. But it's all scandalized, and you you can't look at this. You cannot that you this you cannot see. This you cannot read. This you are not allowed to know. That that's uh, that's the mantra for this age of of, you know what what. Used to be ascribed from the U.S. governments, especially after the mid and late '60s, about the and even in the '50s, about the terrible machinations of this devil communism, and how anybody who was a communist, you just you you couldn't have you had to totally you had to kill them, or you had to put them in jail, you had to stop reading anything about them because they were the 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 Satan incarnate. Now it's pretty much it's 99 percent. Of people, or it's certainly ninety-nine percent of the people that are awake, they are the enemy. It's it's domestic terrorists. It's it's come home. You know Malcolm X. The the chickens have come home to roost. It's coming after everybody now.
1: Yeah, and, and even if it's not domestic, um, uh, with regard to the uh, the disinformation, it's it's a. Uh... Uh, Ironic isn't even close to the right word I want to use, but about Facebook and YouTube censoring and shadow banning. And thank goodness for Elon Musk taking a lot of his money to buy Twitter and reveal just what was going on. And then the, the pushback. You see from even the, the hearings, the Democratic Party going, it's just unbelievable. And then even somebody who I wasn't really a fan of, Tucker Carlson, being fired. And, you know, you go, I think that maybe he's getting too close to exposing the truth. He's talking about Syria. He's talking about many things. And something that you have on your website, that we don't have to get into that right now. Uh, and I invite you to come back again. But it was just disinformation campaign on the ukraine if you say what's really going on there oh, you know and then oh. next thing we're going to be hearing about the wars on jupiter and saturn and how we have <laughs> to send money there and go you know it's like crazy
0: absolutely and, insatiable yeah
1: and the problem is like you've mentioned in many of the articles here in your hundreds of links i'm going to it's going to take me a month to go through this it's not that they're lying so much, but it's the intention of what's going on—the the darker, like you mentioned, the word evil. Yeah. You know, the what's really happening um, is is uh well as I Jim Douglas said the unspeakable. Yeah. Like you know those who know about it don't even dare talk. No. J. No. K. and the unspeakable, and and this stuff. Whether it's, um you know, how how much money if they're sending to the Ukraine when they invent this whole thing, we will not move uh, uh one inch further
0: inch. to the east. Right? right, one
1: inch, and uh and then it just goes on and on <laughs> until you 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 kick the guy under the table enough times, and then he punches you, and it's look everybody, he just punched me.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's 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 out of hand. And that's a very effective modus operandi of a psychological operation. You make something that seems so unbelievable, that couldn't happen. That couldn't possibly be true. So people become their own censors. And another thing, Tucker Carlson and uh, Elon Musk and others, I think of a lot of what John Judge said about the competing factions Within the oligarchs, within the plutocrats, within the dynasties, it's not a monolithic thing at all. So there are different at times, as John said, you know, we got to pull the curtain back a little bit, see a little bit of what's behind the curtain or who's behind the curtain, just a little bit. But the level of control, I I take everything, Uh, Musk, Carlson, whoever else. Yes, they seem to be doing good stuff. Good for them. And I, I still just I, – I take everything with a grain of salt because this is a tremendously powerful production we are all audience in. This is the spectacle, the society of the spectacle, as Guy Debord pointed out. And it's, it's so it's, – it's, it's, it's reached a point where now people are, are just – they're so caught up in the movie. They, they can't really look away. But, but we have to. And uh, here's this thing from Guy Debord. This is the last thing I'll read. But this is, he wrote this in 1988. In a 1967 book entitled Spectacle of the Society, I showed what the modern spectacle was already in essence, the autocratic reign of the market economy, which had acceded to an irresponsible sovereignty and the totality of new techniques of government that accompanied this reign. 1967 spectacular domination's first priority was to eradicate historical knowledge in general beginning with just about all rational information and commentary on the most recent past with the destruction of history contemporary events themselves retreat into a remote and fabulous realm of unverifiable stories uncheckable statistics unlikely explanations and untenable reasoning All experts serve the state and the media, and only in that way do they achieve their status. Every expert follows his master, for all former possibilities for independence have been gradually reduced to nil by present society's mode of organization. The most useful expert, of course, is the one who can lie. With their different motives, those who need experts are are falsifiers and fools. Whenever individuals lose the capacity to see things for themselves, the expert is there to offer an absolute, absolute reassurance. Such a perfect democracy constructs its own inconceivable foe, terrorism. This was written in 1988. Its wish is to be judged by its enemies rather than by its results. The story of terrorism is written by the state and is therefore highly instructive. The spectators must certainly never know everything about terrorism, but they they must always know enough to convince them that, compared with terrorism, everything else must be acceptable or, in any case, more rational and democratic. So this has been going on for a long, long time. But the, the the latest bid, I think, is really the final one. This is it. I don't see any way to live the rest of my life just doing the things that I enjoyed doing before, like, like adding to my piano side or whatever else, which I'd like to still do. But I I worked with Stephen Starr. He's an incredible guy on nuclear stuff. There's a thing on Hidden History Center now about nuclear famine from his website. That's the image. And he's talking about we are already in World War III. I listened to a February recording of Hervoya Morik from Geopolitics and Empire with Stephen about the whole schmear of the stuff with nuclear weapons, power, waste, nuclear winter, all this stuff. And Stephen, I, I made just a few edited uh, segments of transcripts in the post on Hidden History. But he talks at one point about Greg Mello, the head of the Los Angeles, Los Alamos study group, all about Los Alamos lab, but also about nuclear stuff. A great, great group going back years and years and years. And Greg Mello told Steve something about somebody who knew somebody in the current administration, executive branch, and and he cited uh, Newland and two other people that I have in the the transcript. I forget their names. One is Sullivan. He used to be. I don't think he still is national security connected somehow. Um, uh, and he said those people, they don't believe in the science, especially the science from the mid-20 teens, on nuclear winter. They think it's bad science. So they don't think nuclear winter can happen. These are the people who are advising This old guy. And as you know, the thing with Fletcher, he talked about the pre-brief in the Pentagon every day. Everybody in the departments would be in this amphitheater and they'd have an hour briefing or whatever pre-brief. And then what, McNamara and whoever else went over and briefed the president or briefed Eisenhower and had his attention for whatever it was, half an hour every day about what was happening in the world. That's a very, very, very powerful system of control. But control to what? To blow everything up and just... If they really think, and some of them apparently do, that we could win a nuclear war, and that's old hat, but they still think that. There's a lot of these threats that we're all dealing with. We're we're in a final time of our lives, and hopefully we can somehow change our heading, (laughs) our collective heading.
1: Well, at least going to your website and listening to you and, and the people you recommend we can understand it uh, yeah we'll see how much we can change but at least we'll we'll learn but there's uh, a lot wrong and this whole Ukraine thing is one just like 9-11
0: oh it's uh, somebody it's...
1: wrote to me um which actually made me feel good that um it was on a Tuesday and our show came out on Thursday and and right then me and Anita were talking about it like two days later and saying, you know what i apologize to americans if i'm wrong but there's something wrong here there's something <laughs> wrong right away you know yeah, that uh, yeah, that a yeah. plane even hit the pentagon that yeah. the towers fell and building seven just falls
0: by itself, all by itself free fall yeah yeah,
1: yeah so once again um, I was gonna say something about the truckers and the mandates uh-huh, and, uh, uh-huh. and all that in Canada, and yep. then the, you know, you mentioned two weeks to flatten the curve, yeah. and that didn't do it. And then you know, I started looking into it, and I was surprised on how many people actually die from a flu every year. And I'm yeah. thinking, oh, was this? This is just uh, a flu. But it just, when they when they fight tooth and nail to say it didn't come from a lab, There's no way it came from when when the people who looked into it said, oh yeah. That, you know, here's the markers. This has been modified.
0: Well, and also when the people from the executive branch, all across HHS and everywhere else, it's safe and effective. It's safe and effective. It's a no. It isn't. No, it still isn't. It still isn't years later, and you're still saying that. That's 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 the marker of that it's intentional. These are not people. These are not people who are uninformed. These people know. They know.
1: And, and then, and, uh, thank goodness, you know, Joe Rogan tries to have uh, doctors on to talk yep, about it reasonably, yep. like a three-hour conversation, you know, yep. like long form, not, not a, you know, a, a three-minute soundbite. Right. And they really tried to cancel him.
0: Oh, yeah. They oh, demonetized they can't, they can't a, Luckily,
1: have he moved on to another format. But um, <laughs> the people are going to rumble now for, for yeah. that kind of things. But um, he's on, um, you know, not not on YouTube because they'll ban everything. Even I noticed a couple of things that you posted up. Um, there's a YouTube warning here about uh, uh, Encyclopedia Britannica says it the JFK assassination is not settled, and and you you know you might not be able to trust this. I mean, it's it's pathetic.
0: It's pathetic. It's infantile, and it's much more and more and more and more indications of the AI algorithms that knock out people. I had stuff happen to me. I wrote about it on on uh, uh, Journal I put this thing, I was just cooking it up. I hadn't even posted it yet. And the thing nixed it. It took it away. And then I posted another thing. It took it away. I posted something on Vimeo in 2022 from one of perspectives on the pandemic from John Kirby and Libby Handros. Vimeo closed my entire account. T- totally useless state collusion Vial, total violation of First Amendment rights. A p- private corporation can censor someone. That's their right. But you can't have the government colluding with corporations to censor people. So that's what's you know that's the that's the shambles at this point of whatever you know the Bill of Rights actually still at st- all stands for all of the different parts of the Bill of Rights have been it chipped away at hugely in the last few years. And 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 Len, I just wanted to say, you said, you know, this is really hard stuff. I think of John Judge where he said he had his interview about Are You Scared Yet? He had his talk, Are You Scared Yet? It's one of the videos in the John Judge section on radical. It's a great talk. And he, you know, he said how some journalists said he's, his talks paralyze people, whatever he said. I'm not trying to, I'm trying to wake people up and help people to see this is our world. It's not the end of everything. Let's be clear about what's going on so that we can actually respond to it. And so in that way, I, I I just, of course, I, I want everyone to be able to thrive and, and have whatever freedom provides for uh, plumbing what the unknown possibilities of human existence are and, just, and exploring and discovering that. And I just, I can't stand by and seeing all this crazy stuff. People like Sophie Scholl, she's in, uh, also one of the people in this uh, a drawing of her on the collage for uh, Pandemic Parallax View on Hidden History Center. The White Rose in Germany, students in 1942 and for, up to 43, who got together? They first thought uh, the Hitler stuff was great. They were in the Hitler youth, and then they started to ask questions, and then they realized they they started to oppose it, and they made these six flyers, and one of her brother was seen um, putting the flyers up in a university or something. A janitor called the Gestapo. They, they took them all in. They c- declared them all guilty and they executed. They guillotined those young people. Those people were willing to stand up for what they knew was right and what was wrong. And they were willing to put their lives. Her brother, I can't remember his name, when he was at the guillotine, his last words were something to the effect of long live freedom. So there are people in the past who can serve as wonderful uh, examples, inspirations. We stand on their shoulders. and, And now it's come for us. Just like our parents in the 30s, my parents, my dad was born in 1919, my mom was born in 1923. I've talked to people in that era. In the 30s and the early 40s, it was not at all clear that the United States and Britain and whoever else could stop the Nazi run to take over the world. Up to the Battle of Stalingrad in 1942, it was not at all clear to people living here in this nation state that the West would win. It was it was clearly possible that the the Nazi war machine might well with the Japanese and lesser true degree with the Italians, they might be able to actually take over the world. Only with the Battle of Stalingrad in 1942 did it start to become clear that they won't be able to succeed. But at this point it's not clear yet that this will be that the oligarch plutocrat and dynastic group will actually will actually be stopped in what it is they're attempting to do. The hardest thing I think is to get people to see this is intentional. It's not an accident it's not just something that came out of nowhere it's intentional and it's not stopping because they're not through
1: yeah they're not through
0: yeah so you have to keep working at
1: it and uh geez, what i wanted to talk about is uh on your uh pandemic parallax view the index for that there's another one called the great reset playbook ukraine <laughs> and the hundred links that are there but it's got that picture of the big elephant in the room the five oh, so good <laughs> pfizer clinical documents you know the trials and 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 a few things creep out when like when someone gets embarrassed um because i haven't watched them all but um i watched one when uh, a woman representing pfizer uh they were asked well, do these vaccines uh, inhibit any transmission? And she laughed. No, of course not. We don't have time to test for that. Yeah. And yeah. then I found out another one that, that the first set of, 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 of um, boosters were tested on eight mice. Yep. And that was it. Eight mice. Good.
0: Send no humans. Out. No humans. That's right. That's yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's unbelievable, which is one of its most powerful attributes. People can't can't believe that this could actually be intentionally fomented and happen and ongoing, and that it's not stopping; that it's it's continuing. Yeah.
1: (laughs) Right. Okay. Well, um, let's talk again. Maybe you're in two or three weeks, and uh, let people sift through this and go to your good website and click on some of the links. And I know Raul will do a good job on, on trying to pick a few good ones here. Um, <laughs> you know, just the stuff about the Ukraine. You I've got links to uh, Colonel Douglas McGregor, who I listen to whenever I can. Yeah, and yeah. Um, Scott Ritter. And if you, just a few people that you, you recognize it's kind of like the ring of truth to yeah. it. Oh, of, of course. And it's a little bit uncomfortable. And I go, I try to talk to anybody. I, I can't even watch the news. And in Canada, here some of the the news stations have their own um, web pages and that. So when you go to click on on items that pop up somehow, uh, you can see they've turned all the comments off.
0: Right. Because right. so many
1: people said you're lying, you're misrepresenting. you just a, it's a utterly meaningless and pointless. And the insults are quite clever. To when you recognize someone's telling the truth and they're pointing out the fraud of this stuff, right? Yeah. And, and yeah. Um, especially in in American media, but it's almost like a boxing fight—like who you're rooting for? Because you don't really care. You're there to watch watch the whole. Uh, um, try to think of what they had in the, in the Romans—the uh, spectacle of it. Just the yeah, the spectacle of yeah. of yeah. of the press and the fraud of it, and how blatant are they going to be? Yeah. And if, hey, if they believe this, let's give them that. Let's believe that, right? <laughs> and, and, you know, um, is it Richard Gage, right? I mean, I kind of, yeah. I, I hate, I, I want to articulate my feelings. I don't want to say it like this, but I I almost feel sorry for him because he's year after year been trying to do stuff and not making any headway. And yet you would think that with some of the things that have come out about it, uh, it it's just, yeah, I guess unbelievable doesn't even come close, but um, you have some really good sections here, and just the very index of Radical.org, we'll go through it again, the Pentagon B movie, and and, then Never Again is Global, history repeating itself, and um, I haven't seen that, so I'll have to go through that Okay, well, I urge everyone to to, to dig further into what Dave is talking about because it's usually a year ahead of me and, and uh, we'll be talking about this every day next year. But no, I mean that, I mean that. So I appreciate, thank you. And, you know, people listening can say, thank you for your time for, you know, we get to talk to you for two hours or listen and learn and just kind of put your ear to the ground and saying, what's really going on? Yeah. And, um... That's the core. Okay, sure. So we'll do that, and we'll. I'm very interested in your views and some of the links you have in the Ukraine crisis, because that's another one that I can't believe uh, people have fallen for it. Luckily, I've got a few people. I've given them a a link here or a link there, and they and they start to come around pretty quick, quicker than I thought. Like for instance, if you talk about COVID and something, go, oh, I talked to a doctor who was talking about the um, the virus origins and goes oh will it you know they say it came from that wet market or a lab but we'll never really know we'll never know and i'm just with the ferocity that he was talking about i'm going how can, how can you say that
0: one one of the ways people can say that tragically is so many people took the shots so one they they have a time bomb inside of them and and it's very, very frightening to even think about that. There are things that can be taken to offset the spike protein, which was only ever supposed to, quote unquote, stay in the muscle of the arm. Total bullshit, total lies. It goes throughout the system. It goes to the brain. It goes to the ovaries. It goes to the to the testicles. It goes to the liver. It goes everywhere. And it's and it's the last thing there's in uh, episode four, uh, Mike Eden talks all about the way they they chose what they chose for this warp speed injection. It's the last thing you'd expect intelligent medical people, pharmaceutical people to all independently decide in these four different groups that they were going to use the same spike protein. That they, it, it's but, but for people who have taken the shot, one, it's frightening because it's inside them. Two, they possibly don't know that there's other things that they can take to detox from that, to help detox what they've done. And three, especially for their children, the people who were duped into thinking this was something that would protect and help their children. I have uh, nieces' children who they may never be able to have children. They may be infertile by that time.
1: It's, it's well, just it's, the small things like you mentioned, vitamin D and zinc. Yeah. I
0: mean, just yeah, taking yeah. that
1: could cut, but regardless, you never heard that. You never, I, I just couldn't believe in LA that I heard these stories of um, police on the shore, you know, somebody was surf paddleboarding, you know, standing up on a surfboard and paddling, and they're oh. out there trying to arrest them. You know, you're not supposed to be out here. You're not supposed to be in the fresh air and all that. Right. You know, it, it, it's, it's crazy.
0: It, it, it is totally crazy that Fauci at all didn't from the first day say, now, be sure to increase your dosages of vitamin C, of vitamin D, of these other efficacious things that can help prevent transmission or even infection of this virus. It's a coronavirus. They knew it was a coronavirus. They said that at the beginning.
1: Well, just so, the way they were saying it, they said, look it, um, everyone is going to get this. We just realized that the, it's the genie's out of the bottle. There's, everyone is going to get it. So just try to be as prepared as you can for it.
0: Everyone can protect themselves by, by following these simple, cheap vitamins that are available to everyone. You don't need a prescription. Yeah. It, it's it's. And it's then the, another when they
1: The way they went after Joe Rogan saying he was taking horse dewormer.
0: Well, no, that yeah, a prescription the whole thing from with,
1: a doctor, right? He got the whole, a prescription, right? Well,
0: and you could go across the border into Mexico, and you could buy ivermectin really cheap anywhere. So it's it, 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 and it was on. It is still on one of the world class medicines on the WHO site, ivermectin, for decades. It, it, they up, handed up billions of of doses to Congress people going to Africa against yellow fever or malaria or whatever it was. It's an antiparasitic. It's, it's the most efficacious and harmless drug, but it had all of this concerted federal government s- s- campaign to say it's dangerous. Yeah. Just like hydroxychloroquine. Totally fucked up. I've said enough.
1: Yeah. And yet you haven't said enough.
0: No, oh, I never could say enough. No. Okay.
1: No. Look, uh, it's been a pleasure. To As always. And, and listen, thank you. Yeah. Thanks for making links to some of the work I've done because uh, I just appreciate it. And it's kind of, yeah, oh, great, you know. So
0: I never have enough time to make all the links I'd like, but at least I sort of make a stab at it. So I'm glad some of them are yours.
1: Okay, very good. And uh, let's talk again. And you can email me and we'll just uh, itemize. Like I say, the whole Ukraine thing to me is so interesting. uh, Compared to what the news is and um, how evil is putin and then you listen to some of the speeches at the un and other places you get them translated and you go what the hell's going on you know how many of these labs did they uh take down in the ukraine exactly u.s bio labs. labs and right, it's it right. just yeah so and it really well it shouldn't be too shocking i i don't want to do too much i think people listening to black Op radio or are you know publicized them so let's call it not another year okay